Beatles fight these battles in a bottle with their paddles, and the bottles in a poodle, and the poodles eating noodles. They call this a muddle puddle, treedle poodle, beetle noodle, bottle paddle battle. This man is a genius. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Manson. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. TGIF, all that good stuff. Today, we get to work well, while we're in your ears for the hour. We might as well be talking about some very entertaining topics that uh, touch on philosophy through the arts, including the art of comedy, the art of music, the art of art, and all of that good stuff. If you were to put such a person in the right context and with the right name, which can be treated rather lightly or taken as a uh, term of honor, you might call such a person a trickster. But we have a man who at the doctoral level has studied the work, the power, the art of the trickster. And he's been on before, he's been on before, and I think on before, and it's an inexhaustible topic, it turns out. <laughs> it is. So we'll be talking in a couple of minutes with Shep Siegel, PhD. But before we bring on our honored guest of the hour, let's say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board, our producer. Benny, how are you doing today? Doing very well, Gary, and uh, my best to you. I know you're in a small little recovery session. I feel like you might have gotten beat up by some hockey players, but... Hey, six hours. Uh, right? Six of it. <laughs> Who skates for six hours? Well, Gary does. <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the Eastern time zone, it started at 8 wow. o'clock and it ended at 2 o'clock. Really? We, we we stayed through two overtimes. Is this and the it, Kraken? No. No, Kraken, different. This Kraken. was the Hurricanes <laughs> and the Florida Panthers. Mm -hmm. And it we, we, we stayed through two overtimes. That's tough, isn't and, it? And then it was after midnight, and I said, oh, let's just find out the score in the morning. And he said, okay. So we went to bed, and the first thing this morning, Gary tells me, well, the, the, final, the final goal was scored by the Florida Panthers close to 2 a.m., oh. 12 seconds off the end of the fourth overtime. Wow. 4.7 seconds, Matthew Kachuk scores the winning goal. And if they if he hadn't done that, nothing else happened. There would have been a fifth overtime, and I'm going. Well, you'd have to borrow somebody's legs. I mean, it was right. down to where twenty and thirty second shifts of guys on and off the ice because they're running out of gas. In fact, they ran out of gas. They were running on fumes. Well, that's like more than two games. I mean, at you've least got, you've got three <laughs> twenty minute periods. Yeah. They had seven twenty minute periods on ice. And I, I think they're probably all in hot tubs somewhere trying to recover <laughs> from kingdom from for a whirlpool. But but it's exciting. And and of course, as everyone knows who listens to our show, I'm a hockey fan. And, I, and this is the, the season where they're coming to the end of it. And it was quite, quite the game last night. So we will see how all of this turns out. Sorry about the Kraken not advancing. We were doing our best. We We had on our rally hats and our uh, garlic necklaces to ward off bad luck and vampires <laughs> all that good stuff it just wasn't enough ultimately but they took dallas to seven games yeah and they came very close to winning on the road uh, yeah it was on the yeah. road mm -hmm. in dallas mm -hmm. so i thought that was extraordinary yeah it was a stunning series i think uh, a lot of people didn't expect them to even make it to the, the second yeah. round at all they thought they were going to get yeah. knocked out in the first because of their lack of experience but i think they proved them wrong dallas put up a good fight 
And um, there you go. So better luck to them next year. And it just yeah. makes our city more proud of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Deservedly so. Absolutely. Yep. Shepard Siegel playfully trains his lens on politics and culture to suss out the trickster element as it has shown up, tickled society, and then just as quickly disappeared. His diverse academic background, degrees in music, career and technical education, special education, administration, and studies in anthropology equip his scholarly pursuits. His activism grows out of visions born in the Bohemian counterculture of the San Francisco Bay Area. His presentations and talks have established him as a reliable and entertaining public intellectual on the subject of tricksters, in politics and culture. He has a varied history as an activist, writer, musician, researcher, and prankster. He's written over 30 peer-reviewed and other journal articles, a textbook that enjoyed two editions, and he was born in Chicago, my hometown. Siegel has lived the longest in the Bay Area and now in Seattle. We will be sure to give out the uh, names of his books and his website again at the midway point, but I'll just tell you the first book that we read is called Disruptive Play, The Trickster in Politics and Culture, and his second book here is Tricking Power into Performing Acts of Love, How Tricksters Through History Have Changed the World. This is his fourth appearance with us, and I just love this topic, Shep Siegel. Thank you for joining us again. Sure, it's a real pleasure to be here. And um, I don't mind opening up with some talk about sports and the beauty, uh, beautiful uh, competition that goes on. I, I'm not a hockey fan, but I am so intrigued by hockey fans. I think they're really fun people. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm watching basketball, I confess. You're watching basketball, and you recently wrote about Dennis Rodman, and I read it from top to bottom, and I was yeah. completely fascinated. Dennis Rodman is really a trickster. I think a lot of people probably know who it is, but I'd like you to lay out a little bit of his life as a trickster in sports. Oh, yeah, that that is great. I have so much fun writing of, about Dennis Rodman. Um, there, there's a whole lot to say, and I, I hope folks will get to my website, but it's really, it's an excerpt from the book. So he, you know, tricksters, they don't play the games. They're not really into competition. They're more into subverting competition, even though he was one of the greatest competitors the NBA has ever seen. But tricksters play with the game. So, you know, the segment opens up with the part that he was um, you know, he played with the very famous Bulls teams, but he also won championships with the Detroit Pistons. And uh, yeah, he wanted, when he played his last NBA game, he wanted to uh, strip down on his way off the court. He wanted to take one piece of clothing off with every step so that by the time he left the court, he was uh, completely naked. Um, as far as I know, that did not actually happen. But um, that's just kind of a way of playing with the game. I mean, when you think about it, I also, when I talk about tricksters in sports, I write about the um, the streakers, which I think were in the late 70s, maybe early 80s. And these folks would run onto an NFL football field uh, naked and they would just run across the field causing all kinds of havoc. And the trickster principle at play here 
is the idea of um, uh, and, and kind of making fun of the competition when competition gets too serious, which I think it often does in competitive sports, professional sports, you've got so much uh, money invested in everything. So it's very serious and they don't appreciate it when a trickster who wants doesn't want to play the game but wants to play with the game uh, shows up. Um, because of all the things that are at stake. But Dennis Rodman somehow managed to get away with it. I don't know if he would have done as well if he had anyone besides Phil Jackson uh, coaching him with the Bulls. And Phil Jackson said he was like a Hayoka. A Hayoka refers to a, 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 an indigenous tribe from what is now the state of Oklahoma, and they called them backwards walking people or sacred clowns. And this testifies to the fact that the trickster shows up in every culture on the planet, one one way or another. I'm going to share one other aspect of the Dennis Rodman story that I found fascinating. Now, I know we're not supposed to be, uh, we don't want to be overly critical of everyone, but I read his autobiography, and it's it's so poorly written. It's just terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> it's okay to be brutal, but, honest, you know, from time to time. Yeah, I mean, it's totally it true, was not right? His forte, okay. yeah, yeah, but, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like you know, especially authors need to love and respect other authors. I, maybe someone wrote it for him. I don't know. But the point is, I still waited through that book. I don't remember the name of it. And there's some really, really neat stories in it. So apart from the the writing and the repetition and everything that was in it. Um, you know how sometimes these books end up on the supermarket shelves 24 hours after the event has happened, you know. So so, so anyway, he tells this story about when he was a kid, um, he grew up in this projects of, uh, of, of Dallas, Texas, I believe. And when he was an early teenager, his early teens, 13, 14, 15, and they wanted to get into the state fair and they didn't he didn't have the money. And he and his buddies would uh, enter the sewage tunnels uh, and they would walk through these tunnels for five miles. And then like right out of a cartoon, they would emerge in the middle of the state fair grounds, lifting up the manhole cover, you know, um, and, and sneaking out. And they would get into the state fair that way. And he did this every year until he got into college. So ages 15, 16, 17, 18. And he, they go, why did you do it? He goes, because it was really fun. And that is the whole thing about tricksters. A, they just want to have fun. And B, you will find tunnels in as you read trickster mythology. As you know from our previous conversations, I believe the great American trickster is Bugs Bunny. And yeah. <laughs> show me a bug show me a Bugs Bunny cartoon where he isn't using tunnels to trick Elmer Fudd to escape trouble and so forth. So tricksters use tunnels. And in fact, in the newer new book, Tricking Power to Performing Acts of Love, I write a chapter about time travel. And time travel, very popular topic always been a very popular topic, at least as far back as H.G. Wells, the time machine, right? But um, time travel is kind of like a form of tunnels. You're tunneling from the present into the past or into the future. And so that also is something that you see with tricksters all the time. And of course, my favorite trickster 
time travel travel trail is the classic movie, perhaps one of the greatest movies ever made, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And uh, I go into great depth about how the trickster mythology is retold there. So Dennis Rodman, uh, tunnels, playing with the game, not taking things seriously, just wanting to have fun. I want to make one more comment about the book that he wrote. Um, and I don't have the title in front of me, but it was also he dated Madonna, as people may remember. And yeah. many people will also remember that Madonna was at the height of her popularity. And she was probably the marketing genius of the time. And so his partnership with Madonna was all about kind of creating a Dennis Rodman brand. You know, that's the term we use now. But your brand, how are you branding? And he branded himself as a trickster. And he said, the reason you know I'm Dennis Rodman is because I'm breaking the rules. I'm transgressive. I'm testing the boundaries and everything. So I understand that his book came out at the time that it did because he was at the height of his popularity. And that's what folks do when they, they, they get to that moment. And I call it a trifecta where he was just in the right cultural moment that the culture was ready to accept this crazy guy like Dennis Rodman. And, and he had the talent. Um, he was the, perhaps the greatest defensive basketball player of all time. And the cultural moment worked. And he, when, when the cultural moment is right, and this maybe leads into our next topic, you know, you can get away with breaking the rules, right? You can be transgressive. And what are trick tricksters? But they're, they're transgressive, but not in the interest of hurting other people, in the interest of having fun. I can't help but say this. When they were lifting the manhole cover to get into the state <laughs> fair, Rodman and his buddies, if they should have made that a separate chapter and called it the Shawshank admission. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it doesn't, you just get that image in your head. And isn't that like right out of a cartoon? Yes. And it's those cartoon realities. I, if, if, I, I, if you want, I'll talk about a cartoon I just watched half an hour ago. But, um, but I don't you know, want to. Maybe that, that's, that's a good thing to discuss. We can stop for a moment and talk about that, <laughs> Chef, because with cartoons, you're not dealing with flesh and blood reality, but animated reality. And you can make animation, especially today, do all kinds of things to make your point. Right. And so when I use the word trickster and in so much of the word trickster is misunderstood because in the common vernacular, it can mean a lot of things. And I think some people equate trickster with con man. And there's a real difference between a con man and a trickster. And and I really wanted to make that point today that tricksters, they don't have an agenda beyond getting a laugh. At the same time, the trickster phenomenon is a great gateway to a conversation about utopia, to a conversation about making the world a better place. But the trickster doesn't fill that opening with their agenda. They just create the opening, and it's up for us to walk through it and have that conversation. And, and, and I hope we can circle back to that. But in the book and in the service of definition, when I use a lowercase t and the word trickster, I'm generally talking about human beings. When I use an uppercase capital T and the word trickster, I'm talking about gods, 
like Wak Junkaga of the Winnebago tribe, like Loki from uh, from the um, Scandinavian countries, from Norse mythology, like the raven here in the Pacific Northwest. I use the capital T, but also to come back to your point, Gary, cartoons. Cartoons are more like gods, you know, because they can do anything. They can fall off a, a half mile high cliff and survive, right? They can decide they can fly. And so they are fictional characters that are tricksters. I use the capital T. So I would call Bugs Bunny a capital T trickster, just like I would the Norse god Loki. Yes, indeed. And I'm thinking now of the Roadrunner cartoons. The animation studio had a couple of rules, at least a couple. One of them was Wiley Coyote never wins, never succeeds right. in capturing and killing the Roadrunner. Right. And rule number two was no matter what happens to him as the foil, Wiley Coyote never dies. Right. That's right. Now, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And the reason why I believe Bugs Bunny is a better representation of the trickster than either the Roadrunner or Wiley Coyote, although your, your point is absolutely valid, is that some the, the, the thing about a real trickster is the tricks backfire sometimes. And sometimes the tricks are played on them. And this brings me right back to the cartoon I watched half an hour ago. I started reading this article about how, you know, they have these eating contests like Nathan's Hot Dogs oh, and uh, these contests where they see how many, you know, you, you, you compete to eat, which <laughs> yep. they called it a legitimate sport. I, I don't know. I'll be a hockey fan before I'm a, 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 a Nathan <laughs> Hot Dogs eating fan, although I'm sure people have their heroes. I don't know if they have trading cards of the eating champions, but the original eating contest was a Norse myth uh, about Loki. And so Loki had this challenger from the giants. And what they did is they set up this trough and the trough was filled with mutton and vegetables and just food. And in the middle of the trough was a string. And so Loki and his challenger uh, had to start at opposite ends of the trough and the first one who ate his way to the string in the middle of the trough would win the contest. Well, Loki, the great trickster, loses. He, it all backfires on him. He loses the contest. And the guy who wins it, he wins it because he didn't just eat the food, but he ate the bones and he ate the trough itself. He ate the wood that the trough was made of, which is just crazy cartoon, <laughs> even though this is this is a, a folktale from the 13th century. But it might as well be a cartoon. And so I did watch the cartoon version of it. And, um, and, and there you go. Great trickster tale. And it's just there for the fun of it. And in fact, the trickster loses in this particular case. So it's okay to lose, and then they come back, rising like the phoenix. Rising like the phoenix, living with that firecracker that you threw. You waited a second too long, and it blew up in your face. <laughs> but you're you're right back in the in the next scene, and you know, that's the beauty when when I have to attach a verb to trickster. The verb I go to is stumble. 
They stumble through the world. And so sometimes they stumble into something very lucky, and sometimes they stumble into something very unlucky. And I think stumbling is a key component of discovery, whether you're a scientist doing experiments or you're just a person walking down the street. Now, stumbling as a politician gets... <laughs> you know, I wanted to say something about that because you Please. said there's a distinction between a trickster and a con man. Right. And I was thinking of that uh, the, that congressman that... <laughs> George Santos. <laughs> oh my working. God! And, I, and he's not a trickster. No, he, he's, he's a he's, clown. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Because he's not in it for the play. He's kind of taking it all seriously, and um, and so I I do see that that definite distinction between somebody who's taking themselves seriously and 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 the game. And, yes. and one of the things that occurs to me when I was listing some of the people that you've talked about or written about or that we wanted to bring up, mm -hmm. it seems like if you're going to be a trickster, you have to be very good at what you're doing outside of being a trickster. If you're a musician, you have to be a great musician. If you're a sports person, you couldn't be a, you couldn't be a sports person who is terrible at the sport and still be a trickster. It seems like there's an element of actually being good at, at what it is that you do that allows you to play with it. How, how do you think about you know, that? You know, I, I, I had never, this is kind of a new idea to me, but I, I, I think you're right. You know, I think you're right. The at least the tricksters that we hear about, right? Yes. The tricksters who gain some notoriety and some fame, right. because everybody's got some trickster in them. And okay, so one of my very favorites, and you may remember because I get, put his chapter right up front, is Lord Buckley, the most famous person to have never become famous, <laughs> and and Lord Buckley. I mean, I'm going to go along with what you're saying, Suzanne. Lord Buckley was really good at failing. He failed at everything he tried to do, but he failed famously. I mean, he almost he almost uh, made it as a movie star. He invented the very first comedy record was a Lord Buckley record. Wow. Well, it failed because the record stores had nowhere in the store to put it. So how did people even know about it? He, um, he, you know, he, he did, uh, he was very good at so many things he, because um, white folks were not as open to hearing from black folks. Lord Buckley, who was white, introduced black vernacular into his comedy routines and helped white people develop an appreciation for black vernacular like no black person could have at that time, which was yeah. the early 1950s. So I do think you're right, even if what you're good at is failing. <laughs> and, you, you know, <laughs> did, did you guys watch that recent movie, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once? Not yet. Have not seen We'd it, like to which see it. was controversial. A lot of people thought it shouldn't have even been nominated because they just thought it was a movie that went nowhere. The oh. critics and oh. many people loved it. 
they were delighted with it and the creativity was off the charts i'm told that it was okay so where do you get to the point of the whole story here yeah well i what i enjoyed about that film is this well many things i actually enjoyed it quite a bit but there's this one line where this woman i'm not going to give it away too much she 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 runs a laundry and she's not even very good at that and uh, but she gets picked by the universe to be the great hero and at one point person says to her the reason the reason i picked you is you're so bad at everything you could probably be good at anything <laughs> and which in a way doesn't make sense but in the context of the of the, of the movie um it it does so anyway, uh, I think you're making a really, really good point that, that the tricksters that we hear about have this notoriety because at some level, at some thing, even if that thing is failure, um, they're very, very, they're very, very good at it. And, and I know somebody who has the same birthday as Lord Buckley. Yeah, that would be that would be me. What a strange coincidence. <laughs> That's a point of pride with you, Chef. <laughs> Since I'm nothing like that at all. Yeah. But um <laughs> you know, yeah. And uh, Suzanne, I think and I think and Gary, I think you were maybe we were heading to this point or not. When we talked, you mentioned George Santos and 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 Donald Trump often comes up in conversations of the trickster, and I, I, you know, in a very early chapter, because the word gets used so loosely for so many different things, I dedicate the entire first chapter to going through what I call the ten attributes of the trickster, and that's so that when we use the word, once the conversation gets started, we're talking about the same thing. But in a quick nutshell, the thing I want people to watch out for is if you encounter someone in politics or culture and you go, oh, that person's a trickster, and maybe you're not saying that in a nice way, ask yourself if they have an agenda. The true trickster's agenda is merely to have fun, to make you laugh, to disrupt order, to say the emperor has no clothes to speak truth to power, to be funny, but no agenda beyond that. If you see somebody as a trickster, but they're trying, but you see an agenda, you see they're trying to raise an army, you see they're trying to get you to vote a certain way, you see that they're trying to get you on their side for some kind of a fight, you see that they're trying to take your money, that's not a true trick, that's more like a con man. Mm. so watch for the agenda if i had right yeah we're gonna make a movie reference when we come back i was gonna say let's let's go ahead and take our one and only break of this hour and with something you just said it's going to come back up again after the break because there's somebody in particular i want to talk about so we are talking with shepherd siegel phd author of disruptive play and tricking power into performing acts of love we love talking us some trickster stuff, and we're going to do more of it after this break. So stay with us, and thank you for listening to Manson Mitchell. Put them in the Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden? Excellent! Execute them. Bogus. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures 
detail in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomes Shepard Siegel to talk about the role of tricksters in society and how they challenge us through popular culture to take a closer look at the status quo. On Saturday, Lauren Archer, mindfulness coach and hypnotherapist, returns with fresh dispatches from the front lines of her forays into human consciousness. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150KKNW. What's up, Doc? Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Shep Siegel, PhD, Dr. Siegel, who is with us. And we're talking us some tricksters. You've got two books. Both of them are absolutely excellent. And how can, I'm, I'm sure they can get them anywhere, including us referring to that that uh, big company that sells a lot of books. But if people want to connect with you directly, maybe go to your website. What, what's the best way for them to do that? That's right. The, uh, that company named after the wonderful female warriors of, uh, of South America. Yeah. Um, but uh, I really do like supporting independent bookstores. So if you go to my website, which is shepherdsiegel.com, the only difficult part is getting my name spelled right. I spell it like the occupation. Some of you folks out there may be old enough to remember the yellow pages, but even in the yellow pages, it was often very hard to find a shepherd. Um, but it is spelled like the occupation, S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. S-I-E-G-E-L. So when in doubt, use an E. There are no A's in my name, shepherdsiegel.com. And then there are links to um, to Barnes & Noble, to Amazon, but also to the independent bookstores where you hit the link and you enter your zip code and it will send you to the uh, store nearest you. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. And I can recommend both of these books because I've read them and they are really great. 
you go into the history of tricksterism from millennia ago um, as part of your research into this, this taking it seriously, this is not a, a just a surface kind of a, a discussion. You go into it from the earliest times to current times. And there was a part in there about um, uh, Abby Hoffman and, and, and stuff from the Chicago 7 trial, which I attended. And, oh, and wow. so yeah, I was very interested in that. And so, um, yeah, it's it's not it's a, a a great place to look at tricksterism as a study, and in looking at it as a study, you can identify it more today and what is going on today and who you think are are tricksters based on the criteria from the book. So, uh, not only a fun read, but very informational as well. Shep, I wanted to bring up the Marx Brothers because why not? <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people talk about a night at the opera as well. They should. And there are things about which people could debate the merits there. But the one that followed a day at the races is a movie. That's the last uh, Marx brothers movie that Suzanne and I watched. I w got on eBay and, and picked up the uh, video that had several of them night at the opera day at the races. And so we decided to watch the latter. And what I found out, much to my astonishment, and, and really I took a, a kind of satisfaction from this because I thought I saw where the Marx Brothers, and particularly Groucho, were going with this. If you go through the movie, there is a sizable contingent of African-American performers involved in the middle of the movie, and they perform brilliantly. And then at the end of the movie, just before they roll the credits, they're all marching, just like the, you know, like a circus would come to town. And they're all marching. And you see the the blacks and the whites interacting joyously, performing. They're putting themselves out there. And Groucho is smiling in a way that today looks an awful lot like deliberate inclusion. Wow. You know, so this is Day at the Races you're talking about, right? The Day at the Races. That's and right. I need to watch that one again. That's the one where Groucho, uh, is, is he a veterinarian or someone? To, there's a he's veterinarian. A, he's a horse doctor trying oh. to pretend to be a, a medical a people doctor. doctor. Right. Pull it off. Right. Because they're always imposters. Um, I want to watch that again, but I just love the issue that you are raising um, that... Um, it, it, let's just, just stick to entertainment and vaudeville. Anybody who was trying to make it an entertainment at any time through our history is is borrowing. If uh, if they're not part of African American culture, they're borrowing from it and 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 using it. It has been the the great resource, and I have no doubt that uh, the Marx Brothers in their professional lives off the stage uh, hung out with and attended performances of and learned from a lot of the Black performers of the time and probably had friendships. When we think of that era, I'm also reminded of Benny Goodman, uh, the jazz clarinetist who was the first person to uh, integrate uh, his band uh, and bringing Charlie Christian, perhaps, you know, one of the greatest jazz guitarists ever into his band. And he just did it. Boy, another person I've added to my list of tricksters is Betty White. 
And Betty, Betty White, um, born on January 17th, when five other great tricksters were born, and including Max Sennett, who invented the pie in the face. Um, and Betty White had um, an African-American uh, dancer as a regular on her show. She was one of the first women to get uh, her own TV show. And the um, TV stations in the South uh, refused to broadcast her show. So, you know, the networks create these shows and the local stations buy or don't buy the show to put on. So the Southern stations would not buy the show. And the network came back to her and told her to get rid of this Black performer because they didn't, you know, because it was hurting the ratings. It all came came back to money, no surprise there. And she refused. And she refused. And as you know, she's, the, the show stayed on the air. She succeeded. She had an amazing career, lived to 100, known for her quips uh, and her quick wit, um, which she probably learned at that same well. So, um, but the way you describe it, Gary, it you know you say they're all marching, and it almost feels like they were having a premonition of the civil rights marches. You know, which in the early days, uh, you 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 had white allies of the civil rights movement marching with the with with the black folks. And quite frequently for the Jewish community, I might add. Please, I'm glad that you did, because there is a long tradition of um, of, of Jewish activists uh, having great alliance with with uh, with the movement for civil rights in this country and being great, great allies. Um, and, and I'm thinking about the Chicago 7 trial, too, which, you know, you had Bobby Seale there and then everyone else was white. You had Abby Hoffman, who's of Jewish uh, descent. Probably a couple of those other guys were were as well. And it was a, a great alliance, especially during the years when Martin Luther King Jr. was alive. And, uh, you know, I wanted to say one more. Well, of course, I mean, there was just the parallel where uh, uh, I, I, I'm, uh, where slavery is an essential part of the Jewish story. And that liberation from slavery in Egypt is a keystone of uh, of the story of the Jews. And so you think about when Moses was in Egypt land, let my people go, which we Jews sing, but is also a, a Negro, what would be called a Negro spiritual at the time. And that's kind of like an artistic symbolism of that connection. So I'm really glad you raised that with the with the with the Marx brothers and that um well of all the trickster gods, probably the one that intrigues me the most is Eshu Elegba or Eshu Elegwa, who comes from West Africa and made the Middle Passage. And somehow, even though the tribes were all getting broken up by the machinery of slavery, uh they that that God managed to make it into the new world and shows up in Brazil, shows up in the Caribbean, shows up in Vodun, or what we commonly call voodoo, shows up as the Yoruba being the tribe that has issue, shows up in Cuban lifestyle, and and finally in southern United States. Um, Papa Legba is another common term for that West African God. 
So it's it's a big part. And let me just say the last thing, two things. One, just that this, this trickster God, you know, in most other cultures besides uh, uh, the Western cultures, uh, it, uh, the trickster God is revered. The trickster God is the messenger, the interpreter. And if you want to talk to big God, you want to talk to the, the big, the big, big God who's really running things, you know, trickster Eshu or Raven or Wakjunkaga, they're the receptionist. They're the receptionist you've got to get through if you want to get into the office. And so you tell them what you need, and they relay your message to God. And and so they are very respected and revered, whether it's in uh, the Cuban uh, religion, whether it's West Africa, whether it's uh, Pacific Northwest. And and you also did talk about the old tales, and I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Wakchinkaga of the Winnebago tribe is... A, a trickster tale, and B, the oldest story known to humanity. Hmm. Interesting. The very oldest. Yeah. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. I wanted to go back to something you had said before the break that uh, it triggered something for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've said it before about not having an agenda. And one of the things you said, it isn't like they want you to, to vote a certain way. Right. Currently, a messenger, Jewish messenger, and the person that I am most enamored of that I consider a trickster, and maybe you do or you don't, is Randy Rainbow. When when I listen to his music, I just crack up. And there are times, and the songs are short, they're three, four minutes long. There are times when I will just click on a Randy Rainbow and stand there and laugh. Because that man is so exceptionally, exceptionally talented and funny. Now, are you going to tell me he's not a trickster? No, no. You know, it's, I have a very, very good friend. And he, he sound, you sound just like him. He just loves Randy Rainbow. He's on to it all the time. I had to tell him to stop sending me the links. Because for some reason, it's it's not my style of humor. But, but. You know, I mean, everyone's got their own taste, but I absolutely agree. He's sat. I mean, satire is the realm of the trickster. Like we said, you know, it's one thing to keep rolling out the cliche, say the emperor has no clothes. But folks should watch Randy Rainbow if you want to see someone say the emperor has no clothes and say <laughs> it. With, right. I mean, yes. right. That's what he's all about is exposing and making fun of. And I don't think, well, he, he doesn't have an agenda besides beyond, you know, they, and this, this, this trips people up. But tricksters tell lies in order to reveal greater truths. And that's why I think Randy Rainbow does that. And the lie is as innocuous as a song, right? A Broadway tune that he's changed the lyrics to and address a, a, somebody in politics. So... It's not like a major lie. It's just a lie that's enough to get you interested. What's going on? Why is he doing that to my favorite song? And then you pay attention to it and you say, oh, okay, he's got a greater truth that he's that he's trying to point 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 me towards. Um, yes. Yeah. Ran, good old Randy Rainbow. And anybody who does satire is 
painting from the palette of the trickster. Absolutely. You know, and I think about Mel Brooks a lot, you know, he does that. And, and yeah, uh, Mel Brooks, he's got a, another birthday coming up. He'll be 97 this year. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. That's a good Yeah, trick. And an another <laughs> modern one who, who I really like a lot is Sasha Baron Cohen. I mean, he's another one that I can just look at him and start laughing. You checked off a box for Shep Siegel. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a brave. So I mentioned him to someone recently. He said he's a brave person. He's not afraid to take risks. I would I would love to read a little portion about Sasha Baron Cohen because I am just fan. I, I don't know what he's been up to lately, but I'm fascinated by him and 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 his tricksterness is he the force is strong with him. I think uh -huh. if, and, and and we do want to talk about contemporary folks and it's it's a little bit hard. But if if I had to name two folks right now who I thought were the great embodied, it, one would be Sasha Baron Cohen, the other would be Taika Waititi, um, who does some of the Marvel movies, but he also did What We Do in the Shadows, Reservation Dogs, um, really great stuff appearing on TV with uh, Taika uh, behind it. Oh, Jojo Rabbit. Let's make a comedy about Hitler. What could go wrong? You know, um, and and I, that was, you know, you know, that was a hard movie for me to get around to even watching it. And I was really averse to watching a comedy where Hitler was a central character. And I was very resistant, probably. I'm Jewish, I'm a Jew, you know, and within the first 40 minutes of that movie, and then, oh, 40 minutes into it, I got it, you know, and I, what a great film that is, um, in that what it's saying is that a 10 or an 11-year-old child is going to be looking for heroes, and whoever the biggest personality on the screen is at that moment in history is is likely to be thought of as their hero. So the Hitler in that movie, who's played by Taika Waititi, is, is a child's fantasy of who Hitler was. Not really, not not really, really Hitler, Hitler the, the actual man. And it's a it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant film. Um I, I wish I could even be more articulate about it right now, but I, I do recommend it to folks and talk about playing tricks. And and Mel Brooks was there first. Oh, yes. the oh, yes. Right? Springtime for Hitler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. I know. I, I laughed be... my way through that, the producers. And then the producers, well, don't be stupid, be a schmarty. Come and join the Nazi party. <laughs> <laughs> right, he's right, goose-stepping. Right. It's Mel Brooks himself dressed as a Nazi. He's goose-stepping as he's singing right. this during this this. this what was intended to be a horrendous production to get them shut down immediately. Instead, it's a very offbeat hit. Now, what do we do with success? Now, what do we do with success? <laughs> right. We, it was supposed to fail. That was the scheme. And I might mention Taika Waititi from New Zealand is Jewish, despite that oh, really? name. He was born as Cohen. And oh, okay. he, he changed it to an indigenous name. One of his parents, I think it's his father, who is, I think, is is it, uh, I don't want to get it wrong, but his father is of the indigenous people of New Zealand. His mother, I believe, is Russian Jew. It comes from all cultures. And doesn't that become a touchstone in any conversation about tricksters and the confluence and the collision of cultures? 
that we refer to ethnicity because we wonder where is this stuff coming from anyway? Yeah, you know, wouldn't wouldn't a, a, a biracial baby be the you know that you've crossed a boundary, right? If you assume that the person's racial, and I'm just you know, if you assume that the person's racial identity is even a boundary at all, but let's say it is, and then what is the tree? You know, so you play a little trick, you cross that boundary, and you get a you get a biracial baby, and. And what what do they call it on the political TV stations? The Beijing of America. I mean that. I've heard it, that. Yeah. It, it really is going to be the solution. It's like you know, everybody, <laughs> every everybody's going to be some shade of brown. So stop worrying about it. You know, that's the you know we're going to have to do it biologically <laughs> because intellectually, a lot of Americans seem to still be struggling <laughs> with the idea of racial equality. I'm too too old to take up fatherhood, but if I could genetically engineer a child, I think I would go for something more along the lines of taupe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you know what? This is a serious, serious subject, and you got to be able to joke about it. And that's when I look at politics today, no matter which part of the spectrum you're talking about, if 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 the if the the political mouthpiece has lost the ability to poke fun at themselves and to make the occasional joke about it, even though these issues are serious, but I think if you lose your sense of humor, you you've gone astray to some degree, and you're hurting your own survival. And there's there's something wrong going on. And we can take it to the greatest horror of the 20th century, one of the greatest, the Holocaust, and Viktor Frankl's incredible book, Man's Search for Meaning. He was in the concentration camps, and he writes in the book. I mean, you can't imagine a more horrible daily life where your brothers and sisters, your mothers and fathers are being killed systematically and um, by by the Third Reich, by the Nazis. And he goes, you know who survived those concentration camps? The people who never lost their sense of humor. Yes. The people who can still joke about it. Yes. And the other thing I have read about regarding the Holocaust is the camp survivors talked about what became known as a gift relation. If you had an extra piece of stale bread and you gave it to someone who really needed it even more than you under these most dire conditions... It established a relationship that strengthened both parties. There became a kind of reciprocity. And this is all within the camps where people could be killed essentially for no reason at all. Right. It, the, the camp system was systematic. It was, it was a, the invention of the devil himself. However, death could come quickly for no more reason that you didn't keep up in line on the way to get your tiny ration of food, or if you were late for work detail, they could just shoot you and there were no consequences. Mm -hmm. And to, mm -hmm. to be in the middle of that infernal chaos and to come out of it with your humanity intact is absolutely astonishing to me. And Viktor Frankl, of course, would be perhaps the most yeah. famous exemplar of that kind of survival attitude in, in the depths of, of a literal hell. Right. Right. Thank you for that. Yeah. Who knew that's what we'd be talking about today? <laughs> yeah. It's well, taking ourselves a little bit too seriously, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it puts you on, on a, not a good path mentally, but, you know, finding humor, seeing humor and having the foibles 
pointed out by people who are um, in that in that uh, frame of mind, the tricksters among us, really valuable, valuable people to to let us um, see that taking something too seriously is not really a good idea. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I often want to point people to um, to the, uh, the the Vietnam War era and the anti-war movement there, and it's you know, it's it's much more generally acknowledged today what a mistake that war was and all the unnecessary suffering. And Vietnam is a great trading partner of the United States now, and you know, in some ways, an ally. Um, uh, and 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 those people they fought they fought off the American army, but the, and the point is it was a horrible horrible war. Was it was the napalm or just the wrongness of it? My point is that the anti-war movement had so much satire in it, and people, in spite of these horrors, having some fun and using satire. Um, hey. Hey, we could have used Randy Rainbow then, you know, we could have <laughs> right. used him then, you know, I participated in guerrilla theater and um, um, it was the only time I ever appeared on stage as a female, but I dressed up as I had, I was a hippie. I had really, really long blonde hair. I dressed up as Trisha Nixon and um, we, uh, and we did guerrilla theater that we were uh would do down there in Santa Cruz, California, where I lived at the time. And they, our little skits were generally advertisements uh, for demonstrations. And we would put on a little skit and the purpose was to encourage people to come out and demonstrate against the war. So my point, we were having fun. We were yeah. having fun without denying the seriousness of the situation. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Have fun. Have fun. So who do we look forward to today? We're down to, can you think of a name? 30 or two? seconds. They're just, people are mentioning Randy Rainbow, but I wonder who will be the next generation? Who will be the next Lenny Bruce? Who will be the next Mort Saul? Yeah. Someone who is willing to risk it all because when when uh, you get to the point where you are starting to touch raw nerves, you tend to disappear from the public stage, unfortunately. Well, that person's out there. You know, may, you know maybe it's Dave Chappelle. Um, a good name to mention. Yes, that's yeah. right. And um, if I have one minute, um, you don't. actually we don't. You have about ten <laughs> seconds. Dang it! I, I, you know what? I, I want your audience to know how much I love coming on with you and enjoy conversation with you. And I want to encourage folks to please take a look at my books because it's um, it's the trickster is the simplest and the most complex topic in the world. Thank we will you. have you on again, Chef. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Jeff Siegel, everybody, he will be back. That's <laughs> the right. good news. In the meantime, all y'all have a wonderful weekend.